Good morning. morning. You have to do better. We're not as as plentiful today. Good Good morning. Much better. Thank you. Welcome to Northminster Church this morning. Whether you're joining us in person or online, I'm glad that you are here today and that you have taken time to worship with us this morning. Uh, we often talk at Northminster about the best thing that we can bring to worship is ourselves, whatever shape ourself is in. So thank you for bringing yourself to worship today. I want to say a special word of welcome to anyone who's visiting with us this morning. We are particularly honored by your presence and hope that you will participate in all aspects of our service this morning, including communion. And just as a reminder, we do have gluten-free wafers available. If that's something you need, just get my attention when you come up for communion. I'll make sure you get one. I also hope you will stay after worship for our after worship fellowship. Uh, We meet out in the narthex, have some snacks, have a drink together, uh, and just spend time together. So I hope you'll stick around for that. As a reminder for parents and kids, or just adults who enjoy kid movies, uh, which is me, um, (laughs) our final summer movie is this evening at 5 p.m. It'll be here in the sanctuary. We will have light snacks and drinks provided, but if your kiddos need a heavier meal, bring that with you. We're just going to move some chairs around and sit on the floor and enjoy a movie together. Uh, So that's tonight at 5 And then looking a little further ahead in the calendar, I want to really highlight for you what uh, what we're calling Northminster Fall Follies, which is basically a church-wide talent show. We haven't set an actual time for that yet, but the date is September 10th. It'll be in the evening uh, on Sunday. And whatever talent you have, we would love for you to share that with us. There's a sign-up list outside of my office. So if you sing, if you play, if you act, If you want to dance with the Spirit, whatever it is that you think you can share with the church, um, that would be the time to do it, and I hope you will consider what you could offer and sign up, and I think it'll just be a fun night of fellowship. All right, I think that is everything I wanted to announce, so as we do every week, let's take a deep breath together. And I say this all the time, so you know by now that we do this because we're not very good in our country and in our society at slowing down. We're not very good at checking in with ourselves to make sure all of the pieces of ourself are together. So it's helpful to take a deep breath and to let that breath not only center you, but to allow it to calm your mind, to quiet your heart, to let you focus on this time that we have together because it is special. So breathe deeply. If it helps, close your eyes. Breathe all the way down to your toes. When, when you learn to play an instrument, when you learn to sing, you learn to use your diaphragm. And it's about breathing from your diaphragm, which tends to push your belly out instead of raising your shoulders. So try to breathe by letting your belly come forward as opposed to bringing your shoulders up. As you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list. Breathe out the stress of a new school year that just started. Breathe in the love and the joy and the goodness of this good space. And let us worship together by joining in our call to worship. In the beginning, God created all things. At our beginning, God created us. Unique and irreplaceable, loved and wanted by God. 
In our new beginnings, God creates something new. In the laughter of friends. Lord God, source of creation. Open our hearts to your love and presence. And ever beyond it in eternity. Amen. they come they were power walking you guys come a little closer I won't bite you come on come on all right so I have a question I want you to think about and we're gonna we're gonna see if you pay attention in Sunday school okay because I know your teachers teach you this in the very very beginning of the Bible 
what happens? We talk about God. That's a really good answer. You remember what God does in the very beginning of the Bible? He made, yes, that's right. He made us, he made humans. What else did God make? Yeah. Animals. What else? Wolves. Wolves are animals. Flamingos. You have flamingos on your dress today. God made flamingos. What else? What do we all live on that's really important for humans and animals? Land. God makes the earth. So the very beginning of the Bible is about God creating creation. So the earth, water, air, animals, humans, all of that. Now, when we think about it, that's a lot to do, isn't it? It takes God seven days, the Bible says, to create everything. So my question when I think about that is, how? How did that happen? How did God do all of that? And there, the truth is, nobody knows. It's kind of a mystery. None of us were there, right? Were you there when God created the earth? No. No, none of us were. So we don't know exactly how that works. Not even cavemen, no. Right. And even if the reptiles were there, they couldn't tell us about it, could they? No. Right. And we can't ask the dinosaurs. That's right. That's right. You, pay attention. So let me tell you about one of my favorite parts of the creation story, the story of how the world came into being. I'm going to read it to you directly from what the Bible says, okay? This is from the fourth day. On the fourth day, God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. God also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of sky to give light to the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Now, did any of you wake up early enough this morning to see the sunrise? No. No, I didn't either. But if you had, do you know what you would have seen? Have you ever seen the sun come up? What does it look like? sky's all pink and then it kind of turns red and then it gets brighter and brighter yeah and the sky lightens and eventually the sun comes up that's right you see pink and orange and purple and eventually it's not dark outside anymore we have light like we do right now and then at the end of the day what happens what happens because what does the sun do the sun goes down, and you see those same colors again. And the moon comes up, and yep. the stars come up. Right. And so the light changes, and we see different things in the sky. Now, do you know how any of that works? Do you make that happen? Do you think I make that happen? No. Do you think any of the adults in the room make that happen? No. That's just one of the amazing things that happens because God created the world, and the world keeps going. It's like a really wonderful gift that we have. That's right. God does live in every church. And you know where else God lives? In you. And God lives in creation. That's right. You've been paying good attention. 
So I want you to think about the rest of the week. I want you to notice maybe when you go outside, though hopefully not for too long because it's really hot, or if you see something out your window that's really beautiful or special like vegetables, because I know some of you have a garden or flowers or birds, those are all part of God's creation. And we don't really understand how it came to be or why it even came to be, but we know it's a gift. So I want you to think about all of those gifts that God created this week, okay? Do you have a question, ma'am? Oh my goodness, you are brave. I would not do that. She held a snake yesterday. A lot of us would not choose to do that. Well, that's good. I'm glad it was friendly. So I want you to think about this week and pay attention. I'm going to ask you next week about the parts of creation that you find the most special because they're all a gift from God, okay? Now, everybody turn around. Keep your hands to yourself, please. And you're in charge of this, and there are a few of you today, so you're going to have to be nice and loud. Adults, you're welcome to join in on our prayer. I'll say the first line, you say it back to me. I see the face of God in you. I see the face of God in you. The love of Christ comes shining through. The love of Christ comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. And I am blessed to be with you. O holy child of God. Amen. You can go back to your seats now. Thank you.
The Beginning of the Creation Story. A reading from Genesis. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was complete chaos, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Then God said, Let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. The beginning of the creation story. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Creator God, we thank you for the beauty of your creation and for giving us the privilege of caring for it. But we confess that we have not cared for the earth with the self-sacrificing and nurturing love that you ask of us. We mourn our broken relationships with creation, and we repent for our part in causing the current environmental crisis that has led to climate change. Faithful God, sustainer of all, we pray with hope, because you are already at work through Christ to reconcile all of creation to yourself and to renew all things. Loving God, Help us to turn our lives around to be people of restoration. Help us build just relationships among human beings and with the rest of creation. Help us to live sustainably, rejecting consumerism and the exploitation of your creation. God of justice, give us courage and persistence to work for justice for those most affected by environmental degradation and climate change. Hear the cry of the poor who are already suffering and will continue to suffer water and food shortages and who will be displaced by climate change. Creator God, give us your spirit to work together to restore your creation and to hand on a safe environment and climate to our children and theirs. Let our care for creation be an act of our worship and an act of obedience to you. Your kingdom come, and your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.
So hopefully you've picked up by now between the scripture readings and the hymns and the children's message, we're going to spend three weeks talking about creation and specifically climate and creation. And this week we're starting with the theme of dominion. So that's what we're going to start with today and we'll continue for the next two weeks. And now let's pray together. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we hear a word from you today. Amen. In his systematic theological tome, Summa Theologica, uh, which I've never met anyone who's read the whole thing, it's so long, it was written in the 1200s, the theologian Thomas Aquinas wrote the following. For God brought things into existence in order to communicate his goodness to creatures and to represent his goodness through them. And since his goodness cannot be adequately represented by any one creature, he produced many diverse creatures. Hence, the goodness of the universe as a whole participates in and represents God's goodness in a more perfect way than any single creature does. Let that sink in for a second. And then consider with me, all these years later, what St. Thomas would say about our representation of God's goodness. What would he think about how we're treating all creatures, great and small? What might he write now in the face of these alarming realities? First one, the planet's average surface temperature has risen by about 1.62 degrees Fahrenheit since the late 19th century, due in large part to increased carbon dioxide and other human-made emissions. The ice sheet in Greenland lost an average of 286 billion tons of ice per year between 1993 and 2016, while Antarctica lost about 127 billion tons of ice per year during the same period. The rate of ice mass lost has tripled in Antarctica in the last decade. Here's your next fact. The global sea level rose about eight inches in the last century, and the rate in the last 20 years is almost double that of the century before. And finally, for now, since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, the acidity of surface ocean waters has increased by about 30%. The amount of carbon dioxide absorbed by that upper layer of the oceans is increasing by about 2 billion tons per year. Now, friends, I'm not smart enough to make any of that up. All of that comes from NASA and their global climate initiative. So I think we can trust the science. And that last figure dates from 2004. So any of you who know anything about research knows that's pretty out of date. And the figures are certainly going to be higher now as is likely for all of the figures in Bill McKibben's book, Earth, Making a Life on a Tough New Planet, which was written in 2010. But in his first chapter, McKibben lays out a shockingly bald summary of exactly how things stand or how they stood in 2010 for our planet. Making my way through his work, I've already learned the necessity of taking a lot of really deep breaths so as not to get overwhelmed. Because despite my fancying myself knowledgeable about the climate crisis, and hear me, it is a crisis. If you don't think so, let's talk. My knowledge of what that actually means 
I'm learning it would fit in a thimble. On page five of his book, perhaps knowing that people like me are going to read it and panic, McKibben says this, don't let your eyes glaze over at the parade of, st- of statistics. These should come as body blows, as mortar barrages, as thickening, sickening thuds. The Holocene, our current geographical epoch, our current time in the geographical way of telling time, it's staggering. The only world that humans have known is suddenly reeling. I am not describing what will happen if we don't take action or warning of some future threat. This is the current inventory. More thunder, more lightning, less ice. Name a major feature of the Earth's surface and you'll find massive change. Now, that last sentence alone is enough for us to dedicate the rest of the year to learning about the climate crisis and talking exclusively about being more engaged stewards of God's creation. But for now, we're going to start small. We're not going to panic. And we're going to spend these three weeks exploring the climate and creation and what that means for us as people of faith. This morning, I want us to consider this particular question. What does the eternal think about our representation of God's goodness? Particularly when it comes to our planet, God's first creation. Remember that. God created the earth before God created us. And in light of the Genesis text that were read for us, how are we handling our dominion responsibilities? Are we good stewards? Are we reliable caretakers? Responsible dominion holders? Now, the the familiarity of this morning's verses can make them soporific, makes them comfortable and repetitive enough that they could put us to sleep. And that's part of their, their purpose. It's poetry. It's supposed to be repetitive. But as we explore our responsibility for creation, and I'm using that as a noun, the place to start is with creation as a verb. God's miraculous making of primordial elements into the life that we know. Now, Genesis 1 is a grand symphony of a text. It is majestic, it is liturgical, it is epic. It is a beautiful passage that speaks to elements of wonder and wildness, both in the creation itself and in God, which is important to keep in mind. But there's a key element to this story that we can miss, and it's in verse 2. The Voice Bible translates verse 2 this way. At first, the earth lacked shape and was totally empty, and a dark fog draped over the deep while God's spirit wind hovered over the surface of the empty waters. Then there was the voice of God. Did you catch it? That elusive little detail the ancients left for us in these words? This my friends, is the story of creation out of a world that is wild and waste, formless and void. In Hebrew, the phrase more or less rhymes, tohu vavohu, out of formless and void, tohu vavohu. And its exact meaning is still argued about by scholars, because there are people that this is all they do. They argue about this kind of stuff. But what matters for us this morning isn't that people are still arguing about it, It's that really what we get from those words, tovu vavohu, 
is this concept of creation out of nothing. So neither is this a story of God creating alone with absolute control, working unilaterally, although you can see it that way. For if it was, if that's all the story was about, God doing what God wants on God's own, those of us who are created in God's image could, as the commentator Terence Freeson points out, properly understand our role regarding the rest of creation in comparable terms. Meaning, if God is a standalone being creating by God's self with no concern about anything else, that can then translate for us, being formed in that image, as power over, as absolute control, as absolute independence. And then by definition, if that's how we view God and creation, the natural world becomes available for human manipulation and exploitation. It becomes human domain, domain, all of the earth becomes human domain. It becomes that over which we're given dominion. The earth becomes that over which we have power, we have control, the right to do with as we like with God's blessing. At least you can get that from the text. And generations of good, faithful believers have used that as their framework for how to approach the earth how to approach other humans, how to approach animals. But what if we reimagine the God of creation? What if we think of the eternal as one who, in creating, chooses to share power in relationship? What that means is that humanity, which again is created in God's image, should model the same approach to the creation from which we were formed. Said another way, if God is communal and relational in her creative work of making all that is, we should use the same approach in our dominion over God's good earth. But that word dominion is loaded, especially if you grew up in church. So let's unpack it a little bit. The Hebrew word in verse 28 that we often translate as dominion is uredhu, which comes from the verb rada and it means to rule or rule over. Some of the associated meanings are have dominion, reign, dominate, and subdue. So it's easy to see how that word can imply complete sovereignty, the right to do with something as you like. But that's really problematic, especially when we try to be communal and relational like I believe God is. So locating other times that that verb is being used in the Hebrew Bible is necessary. A really great example is Psalm 72, which describes the duties of kings and those things over which kings have dominion. What's important in that psalm is that there's the inclusion in verses 12 and 14 that says this. For he delivers the needy when they call the poor and those who have no helpers. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. As commentator David Luce says so well, seen from this point of view, dominion is about protection and care. And when applied to our relationship to the earth, this outlook invites us to imagine that God gives us creation, 
to tend and protect, and calls us to see our interest and future as wrapped up in the survival and flourishing of the earth. So with this sort of outlook on what dominion means, God gives us creation to tend and protect and calls us to see our interest and future is wrapped up in the survival and flourishing of the earth. Tend and protect, responsibility and obligation. Nowhere in God's communal sharing of this planet was room supposed to be made for humanity to take more than we put back. Simply because we can bend things to our will doesn't mean that we should. And to do so is not a reflection of the spirit with which we were given dominion. Created from dust, as we are, and destined to return to dust, as we all are, it is our responsibility and our privilege to be the caretakers of this sacred creation. God has shared this creation with us, and I think, to be frank, we've been asleep. We, good, thoughtful, faithful Christ followers, haven't been paying enough attention, and God's good earth is in trouble. Much of that damage cannot be undone, and that's sad and scary. And much of that damage is not something you and I can change through one action, which we're going to talk more about. But rather than being overwhelmed, let's focus on this morning's good news and take it as a challenge, because they're one and the same. To be a person of faith, as we all are, is to care about the planet and to take its current state seriously and then do the work that we are capable of to make it better. It's really that simple. My friends, God creation needs us. So let's be good stewards.
Misty H when he isn't here, but my goodness, do we not suffer from a lack of musical talent at this church. (laughs) My friends, as we come to this time of communion, we come and remember that this is the table of the heavenly feast, the joyful celebration of the people of God. Christ invites everyone to eat the bread of life and to drink the cup of the new covenant. For as Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Those who come to me shall never hunger, and those who believe in me shall never thirst. In the beginning, God provided every plant-yielding seed and every tree with seeds and its fruit for for food, as we heard in the creation story. And when the Israelites were in the wilderness, God fed them with the miraculous food from heaven called manna. Later, in Jesus' time, when the crowds were hungry, he fed them, miraculously, over 5,000 of them, with two fish and five loaves of bread. And when two were walking toward Emmaus after Christ had been crucified, they recognized him as they broke bread together. This is not my table, this is not Northminster's table, this is Christ's table. We are the guests, and Christ is the host, and there is a seat here with your name on it. So kick off your walking shoes and make yourself comfortable. This is holy ground. All are wanted, and all are welcomed here with our doubts and our shortcomings, our failures, our griefs. No matter what you bring with you to this table, you aren't just tolerated. You are overwhelmingly welcome, and you are wanted. Thanks be to God for a love like that. And now if you would, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. This day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The night before Jesus died was a solemn time around the table. Because of his relentless pursuit of love, he would be seized by those in power. He had made them angry. But before he was taken, Jesus introduced this meal to his followers, to his friends. For even though he knew the end was coming, Jesus wanted to spend that time with them. So as the night lengthened, surrounded by those he loved, Jesus took a simple portion of bread. He blessed it, and he broke it, and he shared it with his friends, saying, Remember me. And then in the same way when the meal was over, Jesus took a cup, he filled it with wine, and after he poured it, he said, this is the covenant that I make. And he reminded the disciples he would go to the ends of the earth out of love for them. What a wonderful gift. Let us join in the same.
And now here, this, call, this uh, uh, what is it, benediction. I couldn't think of the word, sorry. Pregnancy brain. Now hear this benediction. May God bless you with a distaste for superficial worship so that you will live deep within your soul. May God bless you with anger at prejudice so that you will work for justice. May God bless you with tears for those who sorrow so that you will offer comfort. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world. Go be salty. Amen. Thank you.